evening. I'm Derek Fildebrandt, publisher of the Western Standard, and you're watching The Pipeline. Today is December 20th, 2023. It's almost Christmas time. I'm joined, as usual, by Western Standard opinion editor, Nigel Hannaford. How are you? I'm very well. I'm looking forward to the, the uh, shortest day of the year tomorrow when things, the light starts coming back. Indeed. But the light never departed, the Western Standard. It, it never does. It's always light here. And uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Corey. Oh, thanks, Derek. Um, you had uh, you had Krampus on your on your show today. I, I did, I did. It was a special appearance, something different. I mean, we're the Western Standard. We're not going to have some cheesy old Santa in here. Everyone's We've got to have Santa. Krampus. Nobody has Krampus. We have yeah. the exclusive on Krampus. He also may have uh, crashed our uh, our uh, annual staff Christmas party, as is tradition around here. So who's Krampus? That, uh, that's confidential. <laughs> well, no, no, what's the... Uh, what's Krampus the himself. Legend. I mean, Derek is better to explain uh, uh, the, the origins. Germany of... and South Austria, the way it's I define it is um, it's kind of a good cop, bad cop routine of St. Nicholas and Krampus. And Krampus is more or less the Christmas demon. And they go good cop, bad cop, naughty and nice. And uh, Krampus, uh, you know, he's a mean, ugly demon, ape-like creature. And he's got a bundle of sticks and he beats the children for being bad. He also has a bag that, um, if they're really bad, uh, the children go in the bag and he takes them to hell. I think that's more of like a theoretical thing. They don't actually take the children to hell, but it's it's just there. They don't need to know that. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's there just as like, you know, don't make me get the belt boy yeah. kind of thing, you know. Uh-huh. So anyway, yeah, Krampus, uh, Krampus makes a few appearances around here. He did, and it, you know, it was a troublesome guest. He, he kept trying to hit me with his bloody sticks, and, and uh, yeah, uh, he, he's you know not one for a lot of words, but all the same, it, yeah. it was a, it was a good interview. But we, and, Krampus uh, in previous years at our annual Christmas party, he's uh, he's been dance, he's danced, he's a lap like dancer. Actually. The, he has not danced this year though. No, yeah, we've had HR department uh, complaints about Krampus. <laughs> well. He'll take them off to hell next. Indeed. <laughs> He'll take HR to hell in the back. Okay. Uh, well, uh, today we're going to talk about uh, Hamas supporters uh, coming even more into the open and now um, trying to disrupt uh, Christmas shopping, Christmas celebrations. We had uh, Hamas supporters in uh, the Eaton's Mall in Toronto. It's kind of the, the big, uh, that's the main mall in Toronto, I guess. Um, Hamas supporters going through there trying to disrupt the Santa area uh, and the shoppers. And so you had a bunch of terrified little kids who are just sitting on Santa's knee, looking up <laughs> at a bunch of Mahajuddin uh, terrorist supporters, dressed very much the part. Like, it's not like they're not trying to look like terrorist supporters. They're dressed like terrorists. The masks, the, the sc chicken scarves and all. Yeah. They got it all. Like, these guys look like an ISIS recruiting video, and they're walking right through a mall, threatening to kill people, feet away from the police and the police doing nothing and uh promises from hamas supporters to continue disrupting christmas uh you know the jews might be small enough a number that they get away with it effing with christmas could go badly i don't know we'll see um uh speaking of hamas supporters in our streets Scotiabank says ex quote excessive immigration uh is driving uh inflation in canada that's coming from their vp uh, uh, head of capital markets. So um, not usual to see that coming from kind of an establishment figure, but a recognition that these incredible uh, excessive immigration numbers, uh, you know, you don't have to be anti-immigration here, but these are 
eye-watering immigration numbers that we're taking in, uh, many of which are probably supporting Hamas now in our, in our uh, family, in our community malls, uh, is driving inflation. Uh, Ottawa, they're promising uh, essentially to ban non-electric vehicles within a few years, mandating that you can only buy electric cars. Uh, that's going to go really well. Uh, do they know that you know we can just literally cross the border and buy cars in another country and not pay the taxes here? I don't. I don't know if he's heard of border shopping. But can you register them? That'll be the thing. Well, ah, registration is provincial. They'll set up tariffs. That's fair. They, they, they will set up tariffs, but then you're uh, running into NAFTA or whatever has been renamed now. So, uh, so anyway, that's that's fun. It's uh, sparked, I don't know, the ten thousandths front of war between Alberta and Saskatchewan on one side and the federal government on the other. And speaking of which, uh, Alberta is now promising to continue its fight against Ottawa's plastics ban. Ottawa banning things like, I don't know, real straws and uh, grocery bags, even compostable grocery bags, if they're if they seem too convenient, um, Ottawa having lost in court, and uh, but is promising to appeal that, to reinstitute and reimpose the ban on nice things, and uh, Alberta promising to continue its fight in court against it. Before we get into it, though, let's, uh, just a quick uh, note of one of my favorite sponsors, Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Why don't you take it away, Corey? Well, yeah, they're a fantastic sponsor and a great group. If you own firearms, collect firearms, you're a hunter, target shooter, any of those things. doesn't matter. It's nobody else's business, actually, as long as you're a law-abiding person. You need to be a member of this group. We've got a government that's trying to take away your right and ability to enjoy those firearms, to enjoy that property. And if you do not stand for your, up for yourself, if, you, if we don't get together, you're going to lose those rights. And the Canadian Shooting Sports Association is standing up for those rights. They're a fantastic yeah. group. they got all sorts of resources on their website as well. Check them out. It's Google Canadian Shooting uh, Sports Association and their website, cssa-ciala.org. And uh, aside from investing in yourself with a membership with them, which is very cost-effective, there's all kinds of resources in there. It's a great website. Check them out, guys. If you're a firearms owner, you got to. All right. I love uh, Dave Naylor, our news editor, named uh, our first segment here. We had a few few ideas, but uh, Dave named it Ho Ho Hamas. Um, so we've had Hamas supporters in the streets uh, since um, the attack on Israel. Uh, was it October 7th? Or October, so? 7th. October yeah. 7th. October 7th. October yeah. 7th. Um, you know, massacring civilians, including women and children. Uh, we've had Hamas supporters in the streets all over Western cities, but uh, in you know, Canada in particular, operating with impunity um, and ra holding rallies, calling for genocide, murder of the Jewish people, uh, erasure of the Jew of the Israeli state. Uh, but it's it's escalated. They they know they're they're getting away with more and more, and they're getting bolder and bolder. Now they're targeting Christmas. I mean, I, I can't think of a dumber PR move to take for a movement. Going after Christmas is just kind of. It's almost too easy to make fun of you know, Grinch and all that stuff. Uh, but now they're, uh, the, the latest one was uh, uh, significant disruption at the Eaton's Mall in Toronto. You come near me, I'll put you lay down on the floor. I'll lay you sleep. I'll put you six feet deep. I'll put you six feet deep. The cop will put him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then, so we are attacking on Palestine, and we're going to be 
So you can see there uh, a guy doing his best impression, his best kind of cosplay Osama bin Laden, uh, threatening to kill people feet away from police officers. You can see police officers in this video, and they're just standing there. Now, I've heard some explanations while they're trying to de-escalate. So I can perhaps see not arresting him on the spot immediately right there because his fellow Hamas supporters could very easily turn violent. They're, these are obviously violent people. They're advocating for violence. They're threatening violence. So, I don't know. There's some police, some police judgment to take place. Although, advocating violence exactly right there on the spot in front of police normally would warrant a police response at that exact moment. Although, if I was the cops, I'd maybe let him talk. Let him finish saying what he's saying to gather the evidence and, and then arrest. But um, they didn't wait till he was done the evidence to be accumulated. They didn't wait just till the protest was done to not spark it, turning explicitly violent, not just calling for violence and genocide there. They just didn't place charges, period. Uh, their excuse was that it was not against the police, it was against an individual, and the individual just didn't want charges and create a fuss. But that's not the way charges work in Canada. The police do not need your permission to place charges. They might listen to you a bit, but if it's clear and you, someone's committed a crime, uh, like if someone chopped my left arm off and I said, I don't want to press charges, the, the police are still going to press charges for chopping my left arm off. They didn't do anything. 
Well, maybe we'll start with the police response, Nigel. Uh, what do you think could justify the police doing absolutely nothing to open terrorism supporters and genocide supporters, threatening violence right in front of them with clear evidence and doing absolutely nothing? Oh, I think it's terrible. I mean, to your point about uh, it's a dumb public relations move for Hamas supporters to go after Christmas, they just did, and they just got away with it. And the message that that takes is, hey, what does it take? Come on, boys, let's go and do it somewhere else. There was video there. You'll probably pick it out in a minute. You hear the, the, the man threatening a police officer saying, I'll put you six feet under. Like, there is, I understand that they don't want a fight. They don't want a, an insurrection. They don't want an armed rebellion that they have to put down in the middle of a shopping mall. I do get that. But what exactly, if you're not going to say no to that, what are you going to say no to? And the answer is, we don't know yet, because nobody has yet said no to this kind of behavior. I think it's absolutely asking for more trouble. I understand that the, I think the, the word went out, well, let's, let's hit the shopping on December the 23rd. Yes, mm -hmm. we'll see what happens on the 23rd. But uh, if, uh, if there are outrageous scenes, it's going to be because they didn't stop it at this particular incident here. The word needs to go out. You know, Corey, we haven't seen vigilante responses to anything yet. Um, but I, when the police do nothing in the face of this, it both justifies and incentivizes vigilante responses. Um, you know, how concerned are you that that's going to be the inevitable result here? If the police do absolutely nothing, that Jewish people or people who simply are opposed to genocide of the Jewish people and who are opposed to Hamas and other is radical Islamist organizations like this, uh, that they're just simply going, okay, these guys say they're going to crash malls again on the 23rd, that you're going to see a bunch of people show up and take matters into their own hands if the police do nothing. Oh, there's a very high risk of that. And, you know, when you see more and more disorder, you see less separating it and people becoming more and more offended, more and more concerned. They, they, they're is a high potential for somebody saying, well, that's it. I'm going to get up and deal with this myself, which will be far worse than having the police involved. I mean, there's a much lesser chance of some self-control or properly even, you know, vigilanteism, I mean, has its appeal in some senses, but they can often target the wrong people. It's, it's not a good development that we have to lay down the law with these extremists. Hamas isn't pretending to be nice. They're going out of their way to show that they are violent, evil, and murderous, and their supporters are doing so as well. And it's like they keep upping the game, and it's the Western world that denies it. You know, they, they attacked a music festival, and there were people saying, oh, they wouldn't have done that. Well, they gave you the video of yeah. it. They, said, well, they, they broadcasted they, they, it live. They didn't rape people. They gave you video of them raping people. Well, they're not calling for the death of all the Jews. It's in their mandate. Like, quit denying this. And their supporters are doing the same. They're getting on the streets and they're saying, we're here. We're going to put you six feet under. We're going to shut down your businesses. We're going to assail your local traditions. They're just going to keep moving forward and forward until somebody says stop. And, and it's going to be a heck of a lot better if it's the authorities that draw the line in the sand rather than some upset citizens who get in there and then we could have a riot happening in a shopping mall and, and nobody's going to win with that. The problem here, Corey, is that the politicians who should be dealing with it are afraid to because they feel that they will be branded as racist or that they will lose that ethnic vote. So they shut up 
and are silent when they cowardice. should be. It's utter cowardice. Where are the police here? Like the now the police are. There's some political directive and things from mayors and whatnot, and some of it is just their own. You know, they're operating independently, on, operationally on the ground. It's a combination of things, and the accountability can get pretty fuzzy. But uh, they're just allowing this. And, then, and it's not just Toronto. We shouldn't just pick on the Toronto police. It's everywhere that we've seen this across most of the Western world. Strangely enough, I think the only place I've seen police have zero tolerance and just arrest, sometimes with significant force if necessary, uh, people calling for genocide against Jewish people in these protests is in Germany, where there's just a very long-standing law that you're not allowed to call for genocide of the Jews. When those laws are written, they probably didn't think it would be used against migrants, but... That is what it, so that's the only place you're seeing hardcore crackdowns on it outside of Israel, I suppose. Uh, but we're just seeing almost no police crackdown against this kind of thing. When I when I have a feeling that like if if it was a bunch of white guys with shaved heads going around saying the exact same things, I think we'd be rightfully seeing some cracked skulls. We'd be seeing a hard police crackdown. But they're not doing it here for some reason. No, and, and it's a dangerous intimidation. I mean, you think of the rights of the others. They always seem to overlook the rights of the others. What about the business owners in the mall? What about yeah. the families that just wanted to go shopping? And people saying, well, they didn't attack anybody. Come on, that is intimidating. You are not comfortable. You do not feel safe when you have a bunch of masked people screaming death threats walking around you. This isn't a civilized country when you can allow that sort of thing to happen. Uh, same sort of thing outside of a indigo where they laid out a bunch of fake body bags in front of the door and, and were screaming and chanting outside. And because I, uh, the company has some Jewish ownership. Yeah, and I saw some people yeah. defending it, uh, Canadian progressives saying, well, people could still go in and out of the store. Mm -hmm. your, your average person isn't going to walk that gauntlet to go into a business, and, and they know bloody well that they won't. But again, I, I think Nigel used the, the analogy. It's like the kid, they're always putting the, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you. And they're going to see how far they can get until you finally wind up and crack. Well, they are touching now. They're, they're threatening murder yeah. in front of police and police doing nothing. Um, I think it was uh, supposed to be yesterday or the day before, uh, Hamas supporters were saying they were going to hold marches through the plus 15s in Calgary. Uh, for those of you not in Calgary, the plus 15s are kind of the, Think of it as an above-ground tunnel network, and it's used to kind of get around the business district of downtown Calgary. Uh, it's kind of funny because it wasn't very cold. I don't know why you'd hold it in the plus 15s unless it's very cold. Uh, people are actually on the streets, but they're promising to hold it. We sent some reporters around the plus 15s. We actually didn't see this happening. It uh, seemed to... Just I think these groups are getting smaller, which I think is why they're getting a little more extreme too, though, right? We're not seeing the perhaps a broader rational group anymore, but you're seeing the core, the the, the real nutty ones. That, and that's part of why we're seeing escalating things as well, because they're in smaller numbers. I think they wanted to hit the plus 15s, but when only 30 people, you know, RSVP'd, they said, ah, oh, well, we're yeah. maybe not going to do I think this. they also feel they need probably bigger numbers for the plus 15s, because who's in the plus 15s? It tends to be fairly kind of right-wing, conservative, Calgary business folk. And if there's only 30 of them, they don't have the numbers to be able to sufficiently intimidate. So if it's only like 30 Hamas supporters walking around, at, they're not going to be able to throw their weight around and threaten violence without getting a little bit of it back themselves, I think. So yeah. they're going to need bigger numbers than that to be able to pull off a plus 15 protest well, in if, downtown Calgary. If they do, I propose closing the doors and filling them with water so they can get a taste of home. From the river to the sea. That's right. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I mean, semi-related. Um, so uh, Derek Holt, he is uh, vice president, head of capital markets 
at Scotiabank, saying something that you don't expect to hear from a Scotiabank VP type. Uh, so here's just a bit of what he said. He says, uh, immigration is excessive, full stop. Canada just added about 431,000 people in Q3 alone here. That's like presto. Here's a new city of London, Ontario, created in one quarter, or almost a new city of Hamilton, a 1.1% uh, quarter over quarter, non-annualized increase in population in one quarter. Stats can noted that even just in the first nine months of this year exceeded population growth for any other year since Confederation in uh, six, 1867. Um, goes on from there. Um, <coughs> so, I mean, you don't have to be a shut the borders, build a wall, anti-immigration type to think that 400,000 people a quarter is maybe a bit excessive for a country, uh, Canada's size and population, particularly when Canada's facing a massive housing shortage, uh, when we still have areas of significant unemployment in the country. Um, and this is entirely away, outside of the, the cultural or religious arguments. And, you know, some groups probably assimilate a bit easier than others. I'd argue that Hamas lovers are not going to be an easy uh, integration into Canada. Uh, but uh, we'll start with you, Corey, about, you know, do you think something like, so Holt here is not, uh, you know, he's not Bob from Red Deer who, you know, people expect have a problem with immigration. This is, uh, this is a Laurentian senior banker. Do you think uh, this is going to have any impact on Ottawa's policies at all? I hope so. Like if it's at the beginning of some, you know, respectable people in high positions coming out and saying the emperor has no clothes, saying the numbers that other people and pundits have been saying now for quite some time, just that these numbers right now are unsustainable. We can't manage this. We don't have enough houses. We don't have enough healthcare facilities. We don't have the ability to do that. So it might embolden others in his sort of position in the business community, maybe the political community, to be able to come out and say what I think everybody's already been thinking, that we just can't do this. The, the problem is bringing in these immigrants is pumping up our GDP. And uh, it, it's keeping us from going into a technical recession. That's why the Liberals are doing it. But the reality is the GDP per capita is sliding into the toilet. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, people with any economic knowledge, such as the gentleman from Scotia, know this and understand this. And I don't see too many more standing by and allowing the federal government to basically crater Canada's economy just to try and avoid a recession that might be politically unpopular. I think um, there's also an element of uh, these. I think there's an expectation within the Trudeau liberals that these are people who are going to vote for them. Now, strictly mm -hmm. speaking, they can't vote until they've been here three years. Well, it's a bit but, of, a, it's an assembly line of voters. it's an assembly line of voters yeah. who are going to be sympathetically disposed. And this whole thing is so counter uh, other elements of federal policy. For example, you're trying to cut carbon dioxide emissions. Well, guess what? You've just brought in an increase. I gather it's been a million people this year, so that's like two and a half percent of the population. And you are now asking, uh, you're now asking everybody else to dampen their carbon emissions so that you can keep... 1.25 million. 1.25 million. So uh, it, it's an even larger percentage. So there we go. Um, you, It doesn't work. If you want to bring down carbon emissions, 
hacking people in is not going to work. Well, the if idea of re reducing carbon emissions is we have to make people poorer because poor people emit less carbon. So we need, therefore, we should keep them in poor countries and keeping these people poor. But that, that should be the argument well, then, right? Yeah, I'll let you make that one. But I mean, as far as bringing, the, bringing people into Canada, it just goes against what they're, over here, they're bringing the people in. Over there, they're trying to uh, lower carbon emissions. Well, those two don't go together. And meanwhile, you're creating a massive housing shortage. And mark my words, the day will come when people will look at your house and say, well, you know, you've got spare rooms. Why aren't you opening up your spare rooms to take these un unhoused people who we keep bringing in? And when you've filled your spare rooms, we've got more people we can bring in. I mean, it hasn't happened yet, but that's the kind of liberal uh, blame people who have something if they feel it's in their interest to do so. The government used to call it billeting, and it was one of the triggers of the American Revolution. It certainly was, and during the, uh, the years of the Soviet Revolution in the early 1920s, Ayn Rand talks about this in her book, We the Living, how people actually were basically dispossessed of their homes in order that they could pack people in. So, I mean, it's happened before. It may not happen in this case, but uh, you can see how the, the mind might be working back in Ottawa. Yeah, and it's it's a driver of inflation, uh, particularly around housing. Housing is one of the biggest drivers of, and again, I, I, maybe I kind of quibble, quibble a bit with the language here. That's not inflation, that's cost of living. And they're closely associated, but inflation is devaluation of the currency, of, of money, not necessarily how far your dollar goes. And those things are closely related. The taxpayer association guy comes out every time. I, I quibble with it a bit. It's <laughs> like, you know, uh, an increase in taxes is not, an increase in inflation. It's increase in cost of living. Those things are closely related, but they're not the same. So I, I'm I'm going to quibble a bit with their language, but I whatever. We'll say inflation because I, I I guess that's what people call it, but it's not really what it is here. But it's it's driving up massively the cost of living through housing, and I, I just don't know how they're they're supposed to square the circle with the voting public that we have this huge housing shortage. We promise we're trying to solve it. Uh, so there's supply and then there's demand. So we're going to moderately increase supply, but we're going to we're just going to bring in a tidal wave of new demand. We bring people to this country, we better well have a place to put them. And I'm fine with bringing people here. Most all three of us at some point our families came here. Uh, not even family you're an immigrant. So I'm I'm fine with it. I mean, I'm totally a I came out to the colonies of my own free will and assist. Nothing. What's hypocritical about that? It, it was your colonies at the time, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you have to bring in reasonable numbers of people, and you, you need to make sure they can reasonably adapt and assimilate. Now, assimilation's a, a bad thing, apparently, in Canada. They're not supposed to assimilate at all. But we don't even seem to care about the numbers. So we're supposed to pay lip service on the supply side for housing, but we just bring in a tsunami of people driving up demand. Uh, and it, maybe let's talk about the conservatives here, because the conservatives are so terrified talking about immigration. Yeah, they won't touch this. Yeah, and, and Polyev is bolder than previous conservative leaders on a lot of topics, but he's afraid on this one, because conservatives, if they even talk reasonably and moderately about uh, immigration, even a moderate center-left, just not taking towing the line of the extreme open borders, unlimited immigration line, they get tarred as racist and xenophobic and anti-immigration. 
is there any hope here that the conservatives are going to be able to grow a pair here? Because they're rightfully afraid of it. Conservatives get tarred with it so damn easily. Are they right to stay silent and probably do nothing about it? Do it smart, you know, do it as politically as you do. And don't make Polyev the front man to talk about, get, get one of uh, the members of parliament. I know it sounds crass, but it's the way it works. Who is a new Canadian or is settled Canadian to come up and speak about it then? Uh, so it's a little more difficult to, to smear it, you know, when it is somebody who has uh, located within Canada to speak about this. I mean, enough Canadians are speaking out. It's as I said, I mean, when we're seeing the head, you know, VPs and banks that are starting to speak out, if enough people of respectable people are speaking against this. The safety in numbers, I think, should allow more to speak up. You know, in the Harper years, the rhetoric was always about new immigrants who, why do they come to Canada? Well, because it's, a, to be a bit Regan-esque about it, it's a shining city on a hill. People come here because they value the freedom, they value the democracy, they value the ability to go out and live their dreams, build, build their little, build their life. That's the kind of people that we thought were coming in. I think largely were coming in, and they were coming in at that time at the rate of about 200,000 a year. Even that is a huge immigration yeah. number. That is it was the, still record immigration at that yeah. time. We're just twice it now. Well, no, we're, 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 we're much more than twice. We're one, four times. 1.25 million, five did times. you just say? Yeah, five, yeah. yeah we're five times that So I, I have to wonder how many of that 1.25 million say, oh, Canada, I get off the plane, I kiss the soil, here I will live out my dreams. Oh quite what their motivation might be. Well, you know, it may not be what I just said. Another challenge that's going to come from this, and we am surprised we haven't seen more of it yet too, though, is with the lack of resources. And it's unfair to the people coming here when they find out, oh, wow, this is a cold country. There's not good housing to find myself in. The cost of living is high. Yeah. They're going to try and go south of the border. Mm -hmm. And our neighbors are going to start getting crabby with us. If, you know, they're, they're dealing enough with people coming north from the south border, and now they get people coming south from the north border. We, we could see some bigger repercussions of this whole thing. Yeah, uh, If they try to cross north to south, they'll just get shipped right back again. Why? It's a if whole other discussion when they're coming from south yeah. to north. Yeah. But uh, well, The uh, problem is it's the world's largest uh, undefended, undefended border, border. Yeah. and we want it to stay an undefended border, open border. That is a good open border, free flow of goods, mm -hmm. people, and services. But if, they, if, if it becomes a serious security concern for the United States, it's going to become a little less free because it's easy to cross. I, I crossed it once in a farmer's field outside of Coots, uh, I don't know, probably a decade ago, just for fun. Yeah, I, I just saw the Milk River. The it's just a barbed wire fence. Yeah. No, there wasn't it's, even a fence there. Yeah. It's literally a cornfield, and there's like a divide of... You know, there's like a little goat path set yeah. on the, for the U.S.-Canada border. And I stepped over it just to be like, ha-ha, I snuck in the United States. And I stepped back over it. It's easy. It's easy. We want it to stay easy. So, okay. Uh, well, let's move on. Um, so Ottawa is uh, very open, you know, about letting in anyone who thinks they might even vaguely want to come here. But a very restrictive about um, products that can... Make your life better in some ways. Like, I don't know, the ability to drink a iced cappuccino with Tim Hortons without your straw turning to mush before your eyes. Um, so, you know, for some time Ottawa's had its ban on single-use plastics, including plastic straws and even compostable plastic style uh, grocery bags. Uh, absolutely moronic stuff. I, I, I just buy a bunch of plastic straws on uh, Amazon and keep it in my truck. Uh, 
about a week ago, I was with my daughter to Tim Hortons and I for, I, I ran out of the, my big plastic straws for a nice cappuccino. And I, I was like, oh crap, I have to use what they have. So I just asked for five, <laughs> asked for five straws. And as soon as it gets limp, you throw it away, you know? It's, I, I don't know how this is saving the environment. I go through half a tree just to drink one iced cappuccino at this point. But um, Ottawa, to my surprise, Ottawa lost in court on this one. Um, this you know, is unconstitutional, ultra virus outside of Ottawa's uh, jurisdiction. And, uh, and the federal government's funding it. They've now, uh, Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo, uh, to no one's surprise, announced that uh, no, Ottawa's going to press forward and appeal the court's decision that said that this ban was unconstitutional. Um, and uh, yeah, well, and, and Alberta saying it's going to get uh, intervener status and, uh, and, and go to fight it. Uh, where does the fight go from here, Nigel? Well, there's a couple of things. One is that, uh, as uh, Premier Smith said this morning in the interview that we had, which will be uh, up later today on when it's been processed, um, the, the Environment Minister is 99% ideologue. There is no pragmatism in him at all. And so if they get a an order that they don't like, they just ignore it. They just barrel on through. I mean, we, this we're talking now about the uh, about the straws, but they they lost on Bill C sixty nine. They treat it as if the court never spoke. Mm -hmm. uh, and I understand that in that particular case, there, there are a few technicalities surrounding it, but they do not respect the spirit of the judgments. They do not respect the actuality of the judgments. And the other thing is that this is one of these word games that they play. Obviously, we are surrounded by plastic. There is nothing toxic. I put this in, you know, lick this, I'm not going to die. If I go into hospital, everything they put near me, in me, is going to be made of plastic. Why? Because it is sterile. It is pure. It is fresh out of the packet, and it is sterile, pure, and not toxic. And yet, the environment minister will stand there and in the one breath say that carbon dioxide, which is plant food, is pollution, and in the next breath say that this thing is going to kill you. It's toxic. So there is some very, there is some very serious... Uh, you need to follow the science, Nigel. Oh, science. I tell you, then it, it goes on. But you ask, what's, what's, what's this about? Um, I, the, 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 you know, the Smith government is going to fight it. They will probably win it because it's self-evidently obvious. I don't know. Now goes the Supreme Court, which is pretty stacked by Trudeau. I mean, but it, it's well, made some decisions recently that C69. surprised me. Yeah. Yeah, it it they, has they, surprised they me. They gave you C-69. They may, they may too. Don't forget, these people are political in a different way. And they can see that the Liberal government is actually not commanding the support of the people. Uh, Polls continue to plunge, and when they're deciding things, they're supposed to be looking for what is the consensus of the Canadian public. It's right there in the uh, in the uh, Constitution Act. So um, I think they may take the view most people don't think plastic is toxic. Otherwise, they wouldn't put it anywhere near their lips, mouths, or eyes. So uh, I wouldn't count on them winning that, but I also wouldn't count on the federal government respecting their judgment when they lose. I suppose that's where the Sovereignty Act comes in, Corey, that um, 
you know, I, I mean, the Sovereign Act seems to be a it was weaker than the original proposed version during Smith's leadership campaign, but the version we have in legislation now more or less just puts the onus on Ottawa to sue Alberta to stop rather than the other way around because, you know, traditionally Alberta sues Ottawa. And even if, you know, we, we have to wait years for a judgment, and even if they we win, Ottawa disregards it, doesn't do it anyway. So Alberta's just going to go ahead and do its own thing, and Ottawa's going to have to come in and stop and stop us themselves. So, uh, I don't know, maybe talk about how the Sovereignty Act, uh, well, it's, can play a role it's here. It's difficult. I'm not sure if it can. I mean, the Sovereignty Act is a scene that just keeps clarifying things and gives us a basis to go in with legally. And as you said, because sort of makes, forces them on the defensive to have to come in and, and justify things to us. But Ottawa, this particular government has made every policy a hill to die on. No matter how many court losses, public opinion losses, legislative losses, anything that happens, they will fight it to the bitter end. They won't just say, okay, that kind of failed. We'll just kind of let it die by the wayside, move on with the rest of our agenda. No, they're going to appeal it to the Supreme Court. And if the Supreme Court says it's unconstitutional, I got a feeling like with other things in this night, so they're just going to power ahead. And, and what can we do provincially to stop them? I mean, we can say we aren't going to comply, but the problem is it's a private business that orders these products from over the border, which is federally controlled. And, and you start into a whole ironically, I mean, we, we've got straw bans that might threaten the actual unity of the country because if the government isn't abiding by Supreme Court rulings on the Constitution, we don't have a country. There's a great straw breaking the Kennings back uh, reference in there. Yeah, well, it's all about optics, right? They, that's why they, they didn't want to see the, the co-op bags. I mean, even if they were compostable, because you can see the bag. You look at it. It looks like plastic. That bugs them more than the reality of the plastic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know there's real issues. You know, my property bounds on Fish Creek, and in 10 years, I haven't seen a porpoise in there yet, and it's probably due to the straws that have gone into the water. But we've got to find better ways to cope with it. But like I said, it's a game of optics. It's that absurd, and that's why I use the Prittis Creek analogy with it. Like, common sense has been thrown out the window. As Nigel said, or you said, uh, Gilbo is a pure ideologue. You cannot reason with him. And and I, I just don't know. I mean, we're running out of options on how to fight back with these guys. I think it's worth picking up on that point about him being an ideologue. He is. But they let him be. Mm -hmm. Why do they let him be? Oh, no, he, he was brought on specifically yeah. because he is a He fanatic. has one boss. And, and it's <laughs> not just that he's an ideologue. It's that he's a fanatic. Yeah. And... That was very intentional. Trudeau knew who he was when he recruited him as a liberal candidate. Mm -hmm. And I think the idea was to shore up their, their, their flank on the extreme left with the Greens and the NDP. So, you know, so they don't, they don't continue to believe. Well, there's another more sinister reason. And that is that every stupid thing of which we've been talking just now, he can shoulder it. And then when he has served his usefulness, he will be dispensed with. And now we've got liberals you can reason with. You know, uh, there has to be a reason why they allow this man to drag their fortunes down the way they do. It is can only be he'll get it done and then he'll get dropped. And I'm not sure he has brought their fortunes down because, yeah, he might cost them some votes on in the center and the moderate center right. But he probably gets them votes with people who might switch between the liberals and NDP or the liberals and the Greens. I mean, he. he yeah, he's not going to get the many votes in Alberta, but they don't care about votes in Alberta. They don't care about votes in Saskatchewan. There's just not much in the way of seats and votes for them to get here. They care about it in other parts of the country. And Gilbo could be valuable for that. 
they're losing right across the board. Well, now they are, but that's because it's a general meltdown. And, you know, is, is this uh, this uh, thing that Gilbo announced yesterday about the electric vehicles. And we'll, take well, you were, you're, you're just going to, oh, that's our next topic. That, what's that? That's our next topic. All right, well, let's go to it. So, well, well, <laughs> it's about time anyway. You know what? I'm going to let you, I, well, I mean, you may as well host. Vehicles. You can host. Um, all right, so Ottawa's uh, e-vehicle mandates. So, uh, I'll have to date off the top of my head, but uh, in the not-too-distant future, it's going to be illegal to buy real cars and trucks. 2035. Yeah. 2035. That's the hard line. That's yeah. like, and that's banned at that time. Can't buy 100%. them. Yeah. Uh, and in the not-too-distant future, these mandates are going to get in hard. Uh, I guess the idea being that gas-powered, diesel-powered vehicles are evil, destroying the earth. So now we need to buy stuff uh, made from uh, African Slave labor, uh, children who are working in uh, cobalt mines, big cobalt and lithium mines. Um, so, I, I guess the idea being they can subsidize e vehicles uh, as much as they want. Most people just don't want to buy them. Uh, a lot of us, it just doesn't make sense. Those of us who take our vehicle out into the bush from time to time, away in hell, we're taking an e vehicle. It's not reliable, it's, it's, it's just not going to do the trick. Uh, anyone who lives outside of a downtown core of a major city, it just doesn't make much sense. Uh, so they can subsidize this stuff to, uh, up the wazoo, but it's just not enough. People don't want them. Sales are dropping for this stuff. So uh, if you can't subsidize them, uh, they're just going to mandate them. You're going to have to though, buy them. You you want to take more than the bus anywhere? Well, you're going to have to buy an e-vehicle. Uh this is obviously going to create an absolute crisis in the vehicle market because uh, it'll create scarcity. So actually, your used vehicle, hang on to, if it's gas. Oh, it's going to be worth a lot of money. You know, it's going to be worth a lot more money than uh, than before because I'll, I'll buy a 20-year-old gas-powered vehicle over a brand-new uh, electric vehicle because I, I just depend on it more. Um, let's pretend the liberals stay in power here. Highly doubtful the liberals are going to be in power uh, by 2035. I think uh, maybe they'll be back in power by then. Well, but, Alberta will be on its own by then if that's the case. Yeah, so. <laughs> uh, but let's just pretend. Let's just pretend this happens and Gilbo is still there, Trudeau's still there, or maybe Gilbo is the prime minister. Who knows? Whatever <laughs> dystopian world we're in here. Uh, yeah, it's a lot scarier than Uh What does this look like? Are people actually gonna comply? Are people going to be actually driving these? We'll start with you, Corey. What does it actually look like when they've mandated I don't this? know. The, the, the interventionist tone he's taken, I mean, it, when we're talking about Gilbo's ideological bent, and he, uh, this is to the point of madness. He's talking, look at some of those short-term numbers. By 2026, two years from now, he wants every dealership to be 20% EV sales. You're saying we're putting, and they said they're going to fine them if they don't. So these are private businesses. You're told if you don't have 20% of your market being this product, we will sanction you with yeah. fines. It's, it's madness. I mean, it, 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 I, I just don't know any, any other terms for it. I mean, I understand where they want to go. I, I don't agree with subsidies, but I mean, that's a way I could see bringing it about more. But these, if these dealerships could sell them, they already would. They've There's had every incentive. They, they, in fact, they're overstocked with the bloody <laughs> things. I don't see where this is going to go, but it's, it's going to disrupt the market. I could see it, again, dealers, manufacturers, service they're going to say, I'm out of Canada. I'm done with this. We, we don't want any part of this this mad country because we can't do business there. Well, they put that uh, mandate in, but they haven't promised that there will be 20% more electricity 
No, there's whole with. many, many more questions about the infrastructure oh, yeah. and ability to manage these, even so, if it happens. So the premier is kicking around some interesting numbers here. I understand that she's making a political point, so this would stand further analysis. But she says that in Alberta, they sell 200,000 vehicles a year. Last year, how many were electric? 2,000. So if that, unless they grow the interest in electric vehicles and you're trying to project how many cars you can sell, that's like 8,000 gas jobs a year that you're going to be able to sell. Now, if they manage to, to kick it up to 3,000 electric cars a year, and maybe they can because if you can't get a gas car, you probably buy what you can get. Maybe that's the federal thinking. But the, there's this enormous disconnect between what the public wants and what the public and, and what the government is prepared to say. And she's saying, <laughs> if it's 20% in 2026 and it's 60% in 2030, then you'd better go out and if, if you want a gas-powered car, you better go out and buy one now because you're going to be on a waiting list for years. Yeah. It's going to be like the yeah. Soviet... She didn't say this, but I'm saying it. It'd be like the Soviet Union. Start waiting for your lot of... Wait yeah. for your... Yeah, yeah, you, you, you turn uh, 16, you get on the waiting list to get your, uh, you know, little Soviet jalopy in 20 years or something. That's right. You know, maybe maybe we'll, maybe we'll just go the route of Cuba, that, like, we'll have we'll just, you know, 20, 30 years from now, we'll just have all these classic cars on the road. We'll just start fixing our cars. They're not going to physically, at this point at least, physically seize our combustion engine, uh, uh, combustion, combustion engine, uh, vehicles, they're just not going to allow new ones to be sold. So, like in that case, I just keep my truck forever. Yeah, my my truck's good for a while right, longer, yeah, but yeah. eventually I would probably get a new one. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just drive my but he, my F one fifty until the day to I pay die. A punishing extra gasoline tax. Yeah, we we know he's not going to achieve these goals, but he can do yeah. a terrific amount of damage trying. That's that's the problem, you know. And and and. Again, with these these poor auto dealers, what the heck are they supposed to do when they're caught in the middle? Like this is basically Gilbo admitting a policy failure. He's saying we don't know how to make everybody else buy these things, so we're going to find the heck out of you if you don't find a way to make everybody buy these things. Yeah. And it's out of our hands, and and uh, it's it's irresponsible and it's it's frightening. I think it was Reagan who said if it uh, if it moves, tax it. If it still moves, regulate it. If it uh, when it stops moving nationalize it so okay uh vehicles were going well tax it carbon tax it's still moving we want it to stop so now they're going to directly regulate it they're going to regulate what vehicles you can buy so eventually they'll probably kill the auto industry and that's ontario's problem so okay whatever. but uh it'll become a canadian problem because we can't get the cars we want so then we'll end up nationalizing it which actually Stephen Harper partially did with autos, I suppose. Well, that's a different but I still haven't forgiven him for it. But no, no, no. We sold the shares. We've yes, made, we made money. We so. No, we did not make money in the end because we wrote off a bunch. We wrote off a bunch. Uh, we bought them at unfair prices. Either way, we, 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 anyway. we nationalized the auto industry. Undeniable. But we bailed it out. Bailed the shit out of it. But we bought some of it, too, which was nationalization. Uh, and so, then we sold it again. So let the record show. Yes, but anyway, we denationalized uh, it after we nationalized it. Yeah. But mark my words, they'll, they'll kill uh, this, and eventually the federal government might end up opening dealerships because no one's going to want to sell it because no one's going to buy these cars. They'll have, some people will buy electric vehicles. There's a market for it. It's just not 100% of the market. It's somewhere above zero, 
and somewhere below 100. I don't know exactly where it is, but it's it's far closer to zero than it is to 100. I, I, I'm, I'm willing to wager. Statistics uh, prove that out, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, people are just as scared that they're not going to have the electricity available to charge them. Well, of course we think won't. That's well, we don't have... The, we don't have the cap the generating capability to begin with, especially with the federal right new regulations they're trying to impose on the provinces for generation, especially in places like Alberta. We're clearly not going to have the generation. And also, just are we going to have a charging station every few kilometers the way we do uh, gasoline? And and who's willing to sit around and wait a few hours for your vehicle to charge? So, Derek, I'm not. You know, I, I know where you live. How many people are served by the transformer out there? The first person who gets an electric car is going to be fine. The second one will be all right. How many electric cars can that area uh, afford before the transformer is, I don't is, know, is but thrown? I, you don't want to find out. No. Uh, and you know what? I, I'm, I'm sure there's probably, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's an EV in my neighborhood somewhere. But I, I don't recall ever seeing one uh, other than an Uber that came in with a fake uh, Mustang symbol on it. Because uh, I guess that's what Ford does. They take their EVs and call them Mustangs. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, I, we're gonna we're out of time. We're gonna wrap it up there. Thank you, gentlemen. Okay. And uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Next time, I'm, uh, oh, I guess oh, oh. We'll, we'll be after Christmas here. Yeah. And uh, Merry Christmas uh, and Happy New Year and Hanukkah, if that's your thing too, to all of you. Uh, thank you so much for being with us this year. I'm I'm so grateful for you tuning in, and I'm grateful for all your support. If you're not a member of the Western Standard, here's the Chris, uh, Christmas gift that you can give to having an independent government funding free media become a member of the Western Standard. It's only $10 a month or $100 a year to get unlimited access to all Western Standard comment, uh, content. The Western Standard, at great financial penalty to ourselves, we pay federal taxes to, uh, to fund our competitors because we do not accept the federal government's media subsidy. And if you want us to be able to continue doing the work we're doing and continue expanding the work we're doing, we need you to support us. And you're also going to get something yourself. You're going to get, you're not going to hit that pesky paywall anymore. So please, uh, in the spirit of the season, in the spirit of government free media, uh, please become a member. Thank you very much for joining us. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and God bless. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines uh, helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. You become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.